friends, welcome. Lee Henson Hasty um, with the Theological Education Fund at the Presbyterian Foundation of Ministry, of the Committee on Theological Education. Welcome to uh, this second uh, in my fall season here, 2022, of Leading Theologically. I'm glad to have you here. Hope you'll let us know you're here uh, and share your questions or comments uh, in our um in the chat sections on wherever you're engaging from social media, Facebook, uh, LinkedIn, YouTube. We'd love to hear from you. Um, I have with me today the Reverend Dr. Hunter Farrell. Um, He is uh, the director of the World Mission Initiative at Pittsburgh Theological Seminary, one of the Presbyterian Church USA related seminaries in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Um, He has been there since 2017 but brings with him over three decades of mission and particularly world mission experience across the country and world nationally for the PCUSA, but also particularly in um, Peru and the Democratic Republic of the Congo and East and West Africa. Um, Just a tremendous amount of experience and connections. And let me say relationships. And I think that's going to be really key to our conversations today. And I just want to say how thankful I am to call uh, Hunter, my friend. Thank you for being here today. I know there's a lot going on in your life for you to step away um, and join us for 30 minutes is, is a real gift. So thank you, Hunter. Thanks so much, Lee. Really appreciate the invitation and the chance to think about things that in this this time and place are really important. So I'm grateful for the opportunity. Great. Our RDC, uh, one of the mission co-workers, um, a, a new mission co-worker, Jose Manuel Capella Pratt for the PCUSA, joining us from Miami, Florida, engaged, uh, I think, in the Caribbean. Remind us, Jose Manuel and beyond. Um, thank you for being here. Um, Yes, Hunter is uh, a graduate. I'm not going to be able to pronounce all the institutions because much of your education was done in the majority world, not not in in the United States. Correct. That's right. Yeah, I I did my doctorate in in Peru. That's correct. And um, an MDiv at Fuller Theological Seminary, a uh, bachelor's at the University of Texas. Um, he's involved with the American Society of Missiology, the Council on World Mission and Evangelism, uh, engaged with the World Council of Churches, American Anthropological Association, um, and, and, and most recently, like I said before, with the World Mission Initiative, which is changing um, how it, particularly lately, and we want to hear more about that. But uh, part of the reason he's here today is uh, a new book. Um, that is out freeing congregational mission, a uh, practical guide, uh, practical vision for companionship, cultural humility, and co-development that is just out from InterVarsity Press. I bought mine uh, in a digital version, which is possible, but also hard copies. Um, and we'll be talking some about the book, which talks about our topic today on uh, decolonializing congregational mission. Um, the way I start most of these shows, as most folks know, is um, asking asking a question about your call and vocation. Um, one of my heroes, heroines of, of the faith, uh, uh, Howard Thurman, asks it uh, this way. He says, uh, what is making you come alive? I asked 
I actually was having coffee with a friend from 30 years ago this morning, and, and we talked about this question, and it's I'm always answering it differently. So I'm, what is making you come alive today, um, Hunter? Mm. You know, I think that question, it's always, the answer is always variations on a theme, Lee. For me, I don't know if it's being a middle child. I don't know if it's someone who really liked languages early on in life and sort of I, me at my best is working in uh, interpretation, language interpretation, helping two groups of people mm. who don't understand each other Be able to, mm -hmm. to better to, to connect. Um, and so that 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 gift of connection uh, is something that just makes me come alive big time. And I do that every day at Pittsburgh Seminary, connecting our students with the global church um, and watch their ministries soar as they experience uh whole aspects of God's person and grace and love in ways that they hadn't before. Um, it's just through the witness of the global church. So that has just been a real gift for me. That that really makes me come alive. Interpretation. I started hearing sort of a Pentecost moment there, like where everybody can understand everybody, <laughs> right? Yeah, it's, it's, it is powerful. I mean, this morning, in fact, I was tuning in in the, uh, the Inter-American Court of Human Rights there is a suit being heard today uh, that the Presbyterian Church, through its Presbyterian Hunger Program, accompanied uh, 10 years, 20 years ago um, in La Oroya, Peru, a, a community, uh, about 8,000 lead poisoned children, uh, their lives uh, wow. damaged by a US owned metal smelter. And there they are uh, because of the groundwork that the Catholic. Um, Presbyterian and some other churches did together. Uh, they're having their day in court. Uh, they have sued the government of Peru. And it's just to see that that connection that the Presbyterian Church and Catholics yes. together made. Um, it's just been uh, it's really life giving. to well, see. That is beautiful. And that's not something that just started this year. Right. <laughs> no. That goes back. How long is well, uh, 2001 is when the Presbyterian Church began. It was it joined the Catholic Church. It was already in the right. midst. But yeah, it's, I think what Eugene Peterson's term, a long obedience in the same direction. I think long that's obedience in the same direction. <laughs> but the world world or global mission and mission connections in Peru go back before 2001, I hope. They do. Yeah. Yeah. But not not much more. Um, we Peru was not a place under the comedy agreements that came out of the Edinburgh Missionary Conference mm -hmm. in uh, uh, 1911. Uh, there wasn't a whole lot of okay, okay. mostly Methodists, United Methodists were there in big time okay. in Peru and Bolivia. We were mostly in Colombia, Guatemala, Brazil, and Mexico. I see. So um, anyway, so Ruth and I, when we went in 1998, we were fairly new. There had not been a lot of Presbyterian presence there, uh, at least from the General Assembly offices. Right. Well, that's helpful. And so prayers for that. Um, and we'll yeah. have to follow. Um, wh where would we get updates on that? that? Yeah, it's um, actually being, they can look on my Facebook page. I posted several of the clips. It's being today and tomorrow. It is live testimony. Um, it's oh, all, wow. This okay. is in Spanish. And so this, this is all testimony in Spanish at the Inter-American Court. Um, but, uh, there'll be, uh, updates given, uh, in English throughout the time. So yeah, it's, it's exciting because these folks have gone without, um, being able to express their version of the story or make a, a claim for justice in, in a lot of years. So this is, uh, right. 
this is a long time coming. Well, you're doing exactly what your call is. You're already helping us connect here, you know, across the world. And, and also I hear you, I think, and with the book, um, really addressing systemic um, issues, not just immediate needs. And I know one of the things I grabbed onto, there's, there's kind of an infatuation with feeding programs where you're sending, you know, literally meals, I'm sending the fish, but not necessarily teaching people how to fish or addressing, you know, the, the waters that the fish are swimming in, right? There's a lot, of, lot, lot more to address than just, uh, just putting a meal on, on the plate. Um, so I, I appreciate that so much. I see Inico Forenzi uh, now serving in, at, in Worcester, Ohio has joined us. Um, I know engaged in the global church, um, uh, and thank you for being here today. Um, so uh, let's just let's let's talk about the book. You t it begins with, and I love this. You begin with, um, and I've always experienced you this way as generous. But you talk about that that the Christian church and Christians have always been generous, um, but it's how we use that generosity. I, I feel like there's also critique mm -hmm. um, that you're going to you bring as well as how we use that generosity. Does that sound like I'm reading you right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. And and part of this is I, I can't you know point the finger in judgment at anybody else because you know I've got four fingers pointing back at myself. Well, um, we're two white guys talking about decolonialism. Right? Here we go. Exactly. <laughs> we'll and do so, our best. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And what we can do is begin to disrupt the flow of mm. white supremacy that okay. flows through mission as we've conceived it since the 15th century in the West. Mm -hmm. um, and and it, that is highly problematic. And if we don't name that and address mm -hmm. that, then we get pulled off course. We let the current carry us. That's the cultural mm -hmm. current of systemic mm -hmm. racism and white supremacy. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so whether it's feeding programs or support for orphanages or child sponsorship programs, each of these you know, multi-billion dollar industries in right. the United States today funded by U.S. Christians. So multi-billion dollars annually. Correct. Correct. Right. Yep. Yep. Uh, Four point five billion dollars in child sponsorships in the United States. Wow. Most of that coming from U.S. Christians. Orphanages, which we have outlawed basically in the U.S. You can't do that anymore. Right. Institutional care for children, child experts show us, is not a place where children thrive. Right. And uh, yet we see it. It's a growing industry, one of the fastest growing industries in wow. the world, in the Dominican Republic, in Haiti, in uh, places like India, Mexico and other places. So it, this is highly problematic. It feels in, in the research that uh, Bala Kellep, my uh, co-author and I did the last four years at Pittsburgh Seminary. And I'm going to show a picture of Bala while you're talking. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, yeah that's Bala and me. Um, the, the research that we did uh, points really clearly to kind of the, these crises that the mission leaders that we talked to, we spoke with uh, mainline Protestant, evangelical, and Catholic congregational mission leaders. So these are folks, this is, you know, women's leaders, someone who wants to get the youth group to go on a mission trip, um, deacons, uh, mission committee leaders, uh, mission pastor, et cetera. Um, these are folks who are deeply concerned because they see us being drawn into um, kind of a, a selfie mission, uh, right. a, a sense of right. we, we spend so much and so much attention and time into that, the personal transformation that does come from mission, 
but we're majoring in the minors. That that should also happen as a side an end sure. result. But, you know, our grandparents knew better than we did. They'd look at most of what we do in mission today, our grandparents' generation, and, and look and say, wait, this this is mission? You know, why are you spending so much on yourself right. to be able to participate with God in God's redemptive ministry? So right. that it presents some real questions to us. So, yeah, that's that's one of the, the challenges. The other being what I alluded to before, just we haven't taken the time and asked the hard, ask hard enough questions of the undercurrent that guides most of our mission assumptions. And those are the colonial assumptions built during the colonial age. Mm -hmm. Willie Jennings does it beautifully, shows how mission, you know, European mission and um, the colonial spirit were born at the same time. Uh, mm -hmm. this, is, this is highly problematic and leads us into some pretty <laughs> deep and dangerous water. Right, good work, hospital, schools, things that have been done but then at the same time, people have been subjugated and it's, it's, there is a difficult part of that history too. Um, yeah. That I think is important to that, that critique mm. is, is super helpful. I think, and I'm, I'm on uh, in different social media, I'm engaging with um, evangelicals, uh, mainline Protestants, lots of folks, and people are very sensitive. They're like, why do you keep going back to that painful history? And, and to me, the re one of the, you know, not only is it right and, you know, to do so, and we have to look clearly in the face of our history, but more than that, it, I see in myself and mm. ways that our congregations engage in mission, I see so many assumptions from the colonial era. And, right. you know, you think about those colonial logics, you know, it was basically Europeans, i.e. white folks, know mm -hmm. what's best for the rest of the world should mm -hmm. control the processes of development. I mean, all right. of these things. Just what, what you need to have in the curriculum and courses at those schools, right? <laughs> yeah. right. Instead of trusting, you know, trusting um, who's who's teaching those courses to be, or, you know, who has to teach those courses, I guess, even, right? Right, yeah. Preach yeah. those sermons. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and so I think this is really, uh, really important. And, and so... I think we should name the the colonial history and the colonial, colonial assumptions in any case, because that's to be true to history. But the impacts in my life and the ways that I conceptualize mission and have engaged in God's mission in the last mm -hmm. 30 years, I see those streams of, of systemic racism, of mm -hmm. white supremacy that, that formed some of my assumptions. And mm -hmm. I need to be in a continual process of repentance uh, facing the truth, listening to global and local partners. Um, sometimes global partners don't bite. You know, it's, it's, it's an easier take. It's, it's a longer distance relationship. And folks over whose neighborhoods we fly to go out to our global partnership uh, are very sensitive uh, about that, that omission and can uh, help us see with clarity uh, mm -hmm. some of those colonial assumptions that are in the ways that we engage with them. So I, I think this is a, a massively important conversation. And that's part of why Bala and I. Well, it. thank you for, I mean, the book highlights, I mean, your work in general and, and, and that you're at the seminary doing this is also, I think, extremely important formation of congregational leaders. Um, but this, the book is really directed toward um, anyone, especially congregational leaders, both professional and volunteer, it seems. Uh, you give questions for reflection, I think is super helpful. Um, and at the center of this uh, seems to be kind of uh, a, 
a theology of the Missio Dei or a definition of the Missio Dei, the mission of God. Um, in one place, you talk about it as the spreading um, of the circle of relationships rooted in Jesus Christ. I never heard anybody say it quite that way. <laughs> the spreading circle of relationships rooted in Jesus Christ. Um, what does that mean, Hunter? Say more about that yeah. <laughs> and how you understand the Missio Dei. Sure. No, thanks for that, Ali. Um, I think what we see, the, this group of upstart rebels who turn the world upside down, uh, according to the book of Acts, um, helps us to see that there's a spreading circle. It's like the stone in the lake and mm -hmm. spreading mm -hmm. circle of relationships keeps moving out. Um, it's that that changes the world. It's not our programs, it's not our mission priorities, it's not our, um, you know, our Ziploc bags and well-equipped mission trips that we take. Or, to or, or even our money, right? Even necessarily the money. I mean, the money is a tool. <laughs> it is. And in fact, uh, because we have, I mean, there's so much evidence of our commodification of mission. We're mm. making it something, it's an experience that we purchase. Mm. Uh, uh, Rob Haynes does a, a great job. Uh, United Methodist uh, pastor has written a book um, uh, recently, Consuming Mission. Mm. And it helps us to think in terms of that. Uh, we, we, we've commodified it and we, we have so materialized mission. We think that it is primarily uh, the material inputs that we, we give to a, a community of need to help solve their problems. Mm -hmm. And we become you know massively engaged problem solvers for the world. When in fact, uh, we, we frame um, our participation in God's mission as a theology of companion, companionship. And that, right. that changes it. That companionship, it's about mutual accompaniment. Mm -hmm. it's, it's saying, I can't walk with God unless I have the protagonism in that circle uh, of people who are living in the margins, mm -hmm. who can help take these glasses that have been shaped <laughs> by white supremacy and privilege for all of my life and help me to see more clearly. Uh, I'm seeing through a glass darkly and right. my partners, uh, local and global mm -hmm. who come from the margins, who have, who have had their backs to the wall um, are able to see more clearly um, what God's mission is in that particular place. And so I'm really dependent on them. Uh, I think it changes the, I think the colonial flow of mission from the colonial period and the imperial period before it was top down, right? Mm. Imposition of beliefs. Uh, you need right. to act and look like me if you want to enter the kingdom of God. It was the Galatian heresy, right? Mm -hmm. uh, people had to become, the Judaizers said the Galatians had to become like them, Jews first, to become Christians in that first century. Right. We do the same thing when we say, no, these folks have to become more Western. They have to get our degrees. They have to think like us. They have to, you know, ascend to, you know, white theologies and right. Western theologies uh, to be what, acceptable in the kingdom. Because they got to speak, they got to speak English. They got to speak German. They got to write. Imagine right. we, we do that all over the place. I'm not <laughs> right. Exactly. Lots of education. Right. One hundred percent. All the time. When in fact, the flow of God's mission is is from the ground up. It's mm. Jesus on his knees, kneeling at the feet of his the apostles, um, and serving them, and, and mm. that. That uh, that power dynamic and that awareness of the power dynamic 
uh, needs to be, you know, omnipresent in our approach to God's mission. So I just think that that theology of companionship, I was, you know, raised Presbyterian. And so that that language of partnership uh, mm-hmm. warms my heart. I dedicated my life to it. But one of the challenges so many folks said back to us, global partners said, it's almost like a business relationship. You're you're in partnership. And when, you know, Lee's business interests, you know, right. leave, leave that, that circle, then suddenly we're no longer partners. Um, and so we're looking for something that's deeper. The people who break bread together, who are walking on the road together. Right, right. Not even knowing perhaps where that road will lead them. You know, they walk. I, I love, and you're talking about, you have these three stones uh, image and um, you talk about the theology of companionship as one of those. And it made me think, you know, and, and I think you speak to the Trinity here, Elizabeth, my wife, I think, you know, another friend, her, um, her first book and her dissertation was on Beatty Dutton Scudder, whose image of the Trinity. I don't know if you know, is um, the Commonwealth. It's about the, con- it's the Commonwealth of the Trinity. <laughs> you know, we're all in this together. Right. And, but I love, I want to get to the other stones, but I love this image of three foundational stones and they have to all be strong like that companionship, but you talk about it as um, it's the Lula uh, Christians that talk about, uh, is it Dita, uh, ben, Benedita, the, the gathering place, the hearth, the, this is where we come. It's like, this is Eucharistic, right? It's where we're all are fed. That's the table. That's the table you're talking about setting where we learn and listen and are and we get reshaped. It feels like it's, it's it. in that yeah. place. Not necessarily. We think a mission is something we do and build. Right. I mean, I guess that is something you do, but it's not necessarily something you build. Mm-hmm. Um, am I reading yeah. right here? <laughs> right on. And it's more I'd say it's, it's much more than what we do. Um, yeah. It is. It's a posture of life. It's a turning posture. towards the table, mm-hmm. and so that the uh, the word for hearth or three stone fire in the Chiluba language, language of the Lulua and the Luba people in central Congo, is uh, diku, and that's mm-hmm. that's 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 the family hearth. And so that's the place not only where that meal is cooked, but where hospitality is practiced. Strangers are welcomed. Uh, people gather around that circle, and. Uh, uh, that's where the, the traditions of the family values are passed on to the next generation. Um, so that's a space where a point of connection with, with God and with neighbor uh, in, in powerful ways. So I do think um, we have the, the challenge is there's a, there's an awkwardness in us. If you and I volunteer at the homeless shelter, right. For folks right. homelessness, there's, there's a comfort in us packing up, you know, putting together the tray and passing it over the, the, the help desk, right over that, that the reception or over the, um, over the counter. Um, it's much more awkward for us. We put ourselves in a space of vulnerability when we sit down at table with, right. Read with, they might ask us something awkward. They might yeah. say something we don't understand. Right. They not have an answer to their yeah. issue. Or problem. You know, Elizabeth, you probably know about this, her course on theology of the margins. That's exactly what they do. They don't serve. They sit with, yeah. you know, they, they, they go, they don't lead the funeral for the homeless person. They're one of the people who are mourning at the funeral. I mean, that's what you're talking, showing up in those kind of spaces is t- difficult, but yet critical to, I feel like relationship. Yeah. I mean, um, and you say relationship rooted in Jesus Christ, say more about, I mean, this is not just, 
you know, just, I mean, it is neighborliness, but it's, there's something more. Um, there is much more. And, and this has come again from, I'm, I'm, I can see the faces of friends in the global church, the, the Congolese Presbyterian church, um, uh, the Catholic church in Peru. So many folks who've said to us kind of the equivalent of, why do you all talk like you're with the United Way? <laughs> Jesus Christ, for goodness sake, share with us the story of, what, of the mighty acts of God in your life. Right. To see your rootedness in Christ and let us share with you stories. You listen. Of, oh, you know, and, and that, that, that sense of relationships rooted in Jesus Christ. We will quote, you know, a, a text and say, yeah, mission in the way of Jesus. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And that's, that's almost become a, a mantra among, uh, you know, from evangelicals to progressive mainliners. Um, and yet, why is it in our secularizing culture in, in the West, Western Europe and, and North America, particularly in white dominant culture circles, why is it that we consistently exclude the person of Jesus Christ um, mm-hmm. from our conversations and mission? And our, our research showed that evangelicals, Catholics, mainline Protestants, significantly, they define mission as an improvement in the living conditions of the neighbor. Mm-hmm. And, and there's little reference to, to the presence of Jesus Christ. I think part of that is the post-colonial reticence to, to proselytize and to name, mm-hmm. name God as we understand God in Christ and impose that on others. And, that's, and, 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 and praise God for that. That's a good thing. But, but the shadow side of that is we're not able to give an accounting for our experience of God in Christ. And mm-hmm. Muslim neighbors consistently have asked me, why are you reticent to share your testimony? Share the testimony right. of your God in Christ so that we can share our testimony sure. full voiced with our experience. Amen. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, and I, you talk about some of your hope is this where it's a more grassroots is a flatter sort of Chris, sort of mission um, mm-hmm. and not this top down hierarchical type of mission. Right. And, that, that's that's the hope and the prayer. And I, I don't have any illusions of us, you know, as I come into the room and that sit in that circle of whether it's local partners or global partners, I may be the only one in the room with a insurance policy, with right. a pension. I mean, give me a break. Um, right. And so those power dynamics are never not present. Correct. They're always in the room. But to acknowledge it, we we deflate them. We we we're unmasking the powers and principalities. Well, you're you're talking about the second stone of of cultural humility. It feels like here. Yeah, yeah. I think it's key. And unfortunately, we in our culture have a. I mean, as a, you know, as a, a cisgendered white male uh, from you know, I'm I'm ordained and I'm from upper middle income. Never missed a meal in my life, hardly that I didn't want to. Right, um, and so that that colors my perspective on the world, right? The shape of these glasses with which I, I I see. Unfortunately, even just in terms of the the, the anthropology of intercultural communication, I'm going to present myself. I'm going to communicate with others in some ways that form a real perfect storm. I, I, I'm a direct communicator. I'll say exactly what I think. I have this illusion of a low power distance. That is, you and I, I, I see myself as talking as equals. I'll walk into an African community uh, in South Central Congo. I'd walk into a community and ask to see the chief and speak directly to the chief. Uh, well, holy cow. You know, I was. <laughs> that presumptuous, right? <laughs> right? Yeah, talk about uh, an assumption of privilege there. But right. that, 
again, it's, and I'm not saying it's our fault. These are just the cards that we were dealt. This is the script that we carry around in our backpack. What I'm saying in this book is, unless we pull that script out and look at it through the eyes of scripture and look critically at what's going on in the room, why is it that partners mm -hmm. always say, yes, we'd love to do your project. And then <laughs> a year later, no one in the community is supporting it. What's that about? Well, yeah. let's let's go in with our eyes open. And so mm -hmm. I think this gift of cultural humility right. as evidenced in Christ's well, ministry is really helpful. You, you're talking about the third, it seems like, too, this um, empowerment of co-development where you, you really do work in partnerships. Friends, we're running out of time really fast. Let us know you're here if you have questions. There's a lot to talk about. I encourage you to, to get this book. It's great for a group studying mission. I would think for any board actually, you know, to help them think about mission differently. I see Terry Ott, who's the, the editor publisher for Prescient Outlook is here. Thanks for being here. Um, and, and, and I know you keep these kind of conversations going. I'm really appreciative of your work. Um, we're in this together, um, leading theologically, that's for sure. Um, anything, um, I know there's also a toolkit in the, in the book as well that folks could look forward to. Anything you'd like to say about that, Hunter? Yeah, uh, my uh, colleague and co-author, Bala Kellep, did a great job. Um, what we heard from mission leaders was they didn't want to hear from a professor type. They didn't want right. wisdom from on high. They wanted practical strategies, skills, better practices. And Bala put together uh, seven uh, tools to help folks with everything from intercultural communication to reflecting with your mission committee or your deacons or your elders on the ways that we portray our partners. How do we represent them? That, mm -hmm. That's a great open door that helps us to get at some of that colonial assumption piece that we were talking about earlier. It helps to unmask that for us. Friends, lots to look forward to. And if you didn't know Hunter, please get to know him and his ministry and work. He's already I'm such a gift you are to the church. Let me just say, I mean, hopefully you know how grateful the church is for you um, and, and all of us who have relationships with you um, nationally, internationally. Um, thank you for the ways you're forming others and with this book, forming even the next generation of mission leaders. Um, thank you for uh, who you are with your spouse, Ruth. I know y'all are real partners in this as well. Um, what a gift uh, you are to the church and the world, Hunter Farrell. And I really appreciate you being here. If you'd be willing, we'd love for you to, to bless and send us uh, momentarily. Is that, would that be, you'd be open to that? Sure. All right. Let me just say thanks again, everybody for being here. Um, thanks for taking some of your time and whether you're listening now or later, um, we're grateful. Thank you, Robin, for being here. Um, we are looking forward to uh, uh, in two weeks, um, we're having from Auburn Seminary, Keisha McKenzie talking about it sort of on, on the similar tone, uh, moral leadership uh, is so important today. Um, there's, uh, it's not just about uh, our, our politics and our economics. Um, this is a way to think about um, some culture humility as well. So I think that will be helpful. Hope you'll join us. Um, she's a real gift um, to the church and the world, too. Um, but again, thank you, Hunter, for, for being here with us today. Could you bless and send us? Yes. Thank you, Lee. And thanks for the conversation. Um, um, 
I guess my uh, my prayer, my blessing is uh, may the Lord uh, grant each of us the grace of the courage to step beyond the circle, to venture into the uncomfortable conversation, the challenge and the opportunity uh, to share God's grace in Jesus Christ with the world and have that grace shared with us. Amen. Amen. You know what? I'm, I'm going to get my backpack, pull out my script and start editing right now. Um, thank you, Hunter. And uh, let's stay stay in close touch. All prayers for you as well. And Thanks to so everyone. Much. Appreciate it. Bye-bye.